for those of you who may not know, my name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship of Grace. We're going to continue on today in our series in 1 Corinthians called Gospel Unity, the Answer to Confusion. And today, the title of our sermon is Building on the Foundation. Building on the Foundation. Uh, some of you may know, but my wife, Anna, works for the Park Hill School District part-time um, with a program called Parents as Teachers. So Parents as Teachers, some of you may be familiar with it. It's, it's a program that, uh, where she just kind of gets to go into to people's homes with kids that are below school aged, so they're you know newborns through four or five years old, and gets to help kind of work with the parents, partner with the parents, and help them kind of get connected to the school district resources, um, help teach them how to how to play with their kids in age appropriate kind of ways, and help their kids develop in these those very important early years. And for those of you who know my wife, she that is just in her wheelhouse. She loves it, is great at it. Um, and there's a couple of, of kind of byproducts of that being her job. Some of them, some of them are good, some of them are bad. One, one of the not so good ones is because she's going in and out of people's homes and kind of uh, playing with little kids, she, she, has a lot, she, she has a lot of supplies, a lot of supplies, a lot of toys that she brings and has to carry and work with and organize. And so our garage is kind of, it kind of looks like a, um, and she would admit to this, so I'm not, it, it, like a tornado, it kind of just went through. And um, one of the favorite toys that she brings into people's homes are things called sensory bins. Now these are things, they're like big, like plastic tubs full of pasta or, you know, beans or something where kids kind of search through them. And inevitably, one of our kids gets into them or runs their bike over it and it just spills everywhere. And, you know, we've got three kids and lots of things going on. So we usually just kind of look at it and they're like, oh, all right. And then move on to the next thing. And that's how... That's happened a lot of times, okay? So picture that picture on top of each other and stuff. So that, that, that's one of the downsides of it. And that obviously kind of spills into our cars as she's lifting one of them up into the trunk and, oh, okay, I'll get that later. And, and that all happens. And so, so our life is a little bit, it looks a little chaotic at, at times. Um, but one of the good things about, about her job is that some of the toys that, that she get, has access to or gets, gets a hold of are kind of cool. Last week, um, one, one of the toys she brought home I got really, really excited about. Um, it was one of the, my toys when I was little that I had the most fun playing with. And my mom, like, didn't, she wasn't a big video game person, so I, I didn't play a lot of video games, never had a video game console, so we had to, like, play with real toys and stuff. Um, but th- this toy, which I'm sure many of you will recognize, was the Lincoln Log. All right, so my, my wife brought home a box of these. I don't know where she found them or somebody donated them somewhere and she brought them home. And so I excitedly kind of set, just dumped them in the middle of the living room floor and started playing with our kids and kind of teaching them like the ways of the Lincoln Log. And it, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. And, and I, some things I found out about Lincoln Logs is, uh, you know, I, I knew they were, had been around a while. I didn't realize quite how old they were. Um, they were invented in the 19, like late 1930s by a man named John Lloyd Wright, who, if the name kind of sounds familiar, Frank Lloyd Wright, who's the famous American architect. John is his son. John is his son. And so John invented them. He sold the patents to Play School, the company Play School, in 1943. And, and then in the 50s, you know, the uh, Lincoln Logs were actually one of the first toys marketed on TV. And so parents, we all have Lincoln Logs to thank for TV commercials about toys where our kids get hooked on them and beg for them and throw fits about them and all that sort of stuff. Lincoln Logs are to blame for that. Um, some other facts about Lincoln Logs that I know you want to know is, is in the 70s, Play School actually sold the, like, the patents or whatever of Lincoln Logs to another company. And in the 1970s, that company tried to make them out of plastic. 
I, I didn't know this. So I, was, I was born in the early 80s, and so I, but evidently it was an epic failure. An epic failure. Nobody bought them. They're like, you know, Lincoln Log and plastic is kind of like, you know, contradictory. Um, so in the 80s, they, they started making them in wood again. And sure enough, they came back and are still in production today. Um, one of the oldest toys um, still in production. You know, Lincoln Logs, they're, they're a fun toy, but you have to kind of build with them a certain way, don't you? You, you can't just kind of throw them all together or stack them in any which way. They've got to be kind of turned the right way. The grooves have to kind of be inside of each other, and they've got to kind of work a certain way. They've got to be built on kind of a flat surface. If it's crooked, it, it's, it's not really as fun. You can't build the, the cool log cabins with the windows and, the, you know, the sunroof and all the little pieces in there. You've got to be careful how you build with them. And that's what we're going to talk about today in 1 Corinthians. It's not building with Lincoln Logs necessarily, but we're going to talk about the building of the church. The building of the church and how each one of us kind of participate in that. We're all builders in one way or another if we're a part of a Bible-believing local church. Paul is pleading with the Corinthians in the verses today to just really understand and to be careful how they build. He wants them to build on a proper foundation, and he wants them to, to use the right materials. So that's what I, we kind of got the direction we're going today in verses 10 through 17 of chapter 3 in 1 Corinthians. All right, we're going to be reminded not only how important it is to make sure we build the church on, on a strong foundation, but that we pay attention to exactly how we are building. So before we jump into the middle of chapter 3, we've got to set the context again, because I know it's been a long week, and some of you have thought about a lot of other things besides last week's sermon and the previous weeks. So 1 Corinthians, we, this is this letter that, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and the church was, was having some problems. The church was struggling, they were confused. Um, there was, uh, in these first few chapters, Paul is addressing this topic of division within the church. And primarily, the division was happening over, like, like people in the church just getting, kind of teaming up with one of the leaders. They were saying, oh, no, Paul, who planted the church, like, we like him. And, you know, and then other people are like, no, we like Apollos because he's a good speaker, and we like him and like what he teaches. And, and then others would say with Peter. And we, we see this, and Paul is addressing this in a number of different ways, telling them that, guys, this is, this is silliness. We're all on the same team. We're all teaching, preaching the same gospel. He's challenging them to find unity in the gospel. He says that, that that sort of thinking, because the world, if you remember in Corinth at that time, like worldly wisdom was kind of like guys that would stand up with an idea about something on a corner and then people would flock to them and kind of kind of just kind of go around that guy and, and really cling to that belief or truth or, or most of the time not truth that he was teaching, whether what, what it was spiritually related or not. They let that creep into the church, that sort of worldly wisdom Paul said this is actually foolishness. It's actually foolishness. He reminds them of God's wisdom and kind of contrasts it with worldly wisdom. God's wisdom was revealed to us by, by the Holy Spirit. If you remember a couple weeks ago, Pastor John talked about that in chapter 2, how much different it is than the man's wisdom. And then last week we, we addressed the, the first part of chapter 3 where Paul is talking to the church about how they're behaving in a very immature way. Pastor Christopher talked about the, the kind of stages of, of spiritual growth and illustrated that with the, the little sippy cup and the baby bottle and those sorts of things. You know, Paul is telling the church, you guys, are, you're not growing up. You're, you're a bunch of babies, is what he's saying. As the jealousy and strife are still just rampant within the church and um, he, he kind of is helping them, give them a picture of what the church is in those past few verses with a picture from the world of agriculture 
saying that he planted the field. Apollos watered there in the first few verses of chapter 3 but that God gave the growth. Really, the, the planter and the water, that, that's, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be obsessed with them. You should, you should be obsessed with God and glorify God in that. But at the same time, while, while God should receive all the glory, he wants to emphasize and make sure that they don't swing the pendulum the other way and be like, okay, well, I guess church leaders like Paul and Apollos, they don't matter or how, we, how we act within the church as long as we just give the glory to Jesus. God does everything. We'll just throw our hands up. Let God take care of everything. No, he said, no, the, the work the planters, the waterers do is important. And to help explain it, he, he kind of switches gears from the world of agriculture to the world of architecture and says, no, the church, it's like a building. It's like a building and you are the builders. We'll see that here starting in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 3. Let's read it together. It says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. All right, so those are our verses today. Eight really important verses in the middle of this letter. Um, And you may be thinking, okay, I thought we weren't supposed to think of the church as a building, right? The church isn't a building, it's a people. That's what we always teach around here, and that's what the Bible teaches, that the church isn't a building, okay? And that is true, that is true. But Paul, what Paul's saying here is the church isn't a building, but it's like a building, right? So there's a distinction there. The church isn't a building, it's not these walls, this isn't the church, we are the church. But in some ways, we are like a building, like the group of people. Hopefully that makes sense in your tracking, because that's what we're talking about today. And in the first point we see, and you can follow along or write, you've got a sermon notes thing in the seat back, you can do it on the app, and there's sermon notes there, but our first point today, starting in verses 10 and 11, is this, Jesus Christ is the true foundation. He says, Jesus Christ is the true foundation in these first two verses. We see here at the beginning of verse 10 where he says, according to the grace of God given to me, Paul is starting in this kind of posture of humility saying, listen, I came and I started this church, I planted the church, or I I laid the foundation, either one of those things, talking about the same thing, but it was only by the grace of God given to me that I was a skilled master builder to lay this foundation. God had given him the gifts and abilities to, to lay this foundation. That word master builder in the original language is kind of interesting. We get our word architect from today. And so you can kind of think of Paul as kind of the architect, the contractor of this thing, that is kind of getting it off the ground and laying this foundation, which we'll talk about more here in a second. But as we walk through these first couple verses, we see that, that Paul also says that each one should take care how he builds upon it. Each one should take care. And he'll expound on this later, um, what we read just a moment ago. But we, we need to be careful how we build. And then he talks, kind of lands on this foundation, the foundation being Jesus, which if I were to ask you, what is the foundation of a, a true church? You could say Jesus, the Sunday school answer would be correct in this instance. 
But what does that really mean? Like, what is it? Obviously, Jesus, like, he died and gone to heaven by this point. He's not, like, laying there for the people to build a, you know, to stand on him in reality. But Paul is referring to how he proclaimed the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the, the life, death, the burial, Christ's resurrection, all that that means, all that we've just got finished singing about which I just, I love that you don't just get the gospel from the sermons, you get it from the, the songs that we sing. It's just such a great, great thing. But Paul is saying that the gospel was the starting point. This was the, this a foundation that he laid. Um, he didn't come up with it. He just, he was obedient and laying this foundation. Not only is it the starting point though, but it, it should be the basis for everything in the life of the church. And, and the Corinthians had gotten away from this. They'd gotten away from it by, by kind of drifting to this worldly wisdom, by becoming arrogant, divisive. My way is better than your way. My guy, my church leader is better than your church leader. And it had caused much disunity. Paul is trying to anchor them back to the gospel. And before we begin to kind of look at the Corinthian church and be like, man, they were, they were pretty bad. I mean, I can't, I'm glad we don't participate in that. You know, we don't. Uh, we don't have a favorite pastor, or we don't have, you know, we don't do crazy things like that. Um, I think we got to be careful. We got to be careful to do that because I think we would be remiss if we don't think about how this applies to to us as, as a church today. You know, Paul is obviously talking to this local church in this geographical location of Corinth, but there's some application we can draw to us today. What is the foundation of our church? Is it is it where it should be, or who it should be? Have we started to build? on something else? I know those are kind of hard questions sometimes to really think about and what, what are the answers really look like. Now, hopefully we, we are founded on Jesus, but maybe, maybe we should think about, okay, what are some false foundations that could creep in, that could kind of tre- creep in uh, that churches might be built on? You know, maybe it's, maybe it's some good things. Maybe it's just things that, you know, if a church has awesome music, which isn't a bad thing, but the whole life of the church is just resolve, re- revolving around the music or the personality of, of a leader or, or, you know, just the, the, the friendly, casual atmosphere becomes really the foundation of a church or some political idea or f- affiliation, which none of those things necessarily are, are bad in a sense, but if the church is, is founded and, and kind of based on that and everything is centered around one of those things, it is bad. It is not the true foundation of Christ and how a church should be built upon. So how do we make sure, I think the primary way we do this as a church is we preach the gospel, which is something we've tried to do from the very beginning where when Fellowship of Grace was planted back in the Majestic Theater in 2006. We have tried, and not just from the pulpit, but in our children's ministries, in the songs we sing, in the events and things we do, we, we try to focus in, on preaching and sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Because really all the other stuff is just kind of extra bonus and it, it really doesn't matter in the end. We need to ask ourselves questions like, how, how does this, whether it's an event, a ministry, a, a, an initiative that our church does, how does this connect to the gospel? Like, it should be grounded in the gospel with the foundation of Jesus. How can we bring glory to God in this? And we've got to kind of anchor ourselves back to that consistently. Not only do we do that as a church, but we need to do this, and this applies to us as just individuals, right? I mean, we are tempted to lay foundations all kinds of foundations in our life. We've got lots of distractions. We've got our careers, our families, our hobbies, our kids that are doing 100 things and going in different directions and worrying us to death and doing all this stuff that kind of consume us. 
And we gotta be careful not to let those things creep in to be the foundation of our lives. We need to do, and some, some of us probably need to do, and we need to do this all periodically, a foundation assessment of our own life. A foundation assessment. It's, it's uh, something that is a lot easier to avoid than do. Um, I don't know about you, but you know, those of you know, you know, if you live in a house, if you have foundation issues in your house, or if you're looking at buying a house and it has foundation issues, you usually stay away from it, right? I mean, they're difficult to fix, they're costly, they're just complicated, and, it, and it's, it's hard. And sometimes in our life, it's hard to kind of troubleshoot and, and look at our own lives and, and fix maybe a foundation problem that we have. But we need to do it because it is a serious thing, and everything from our, in our lives flows from it. So how do we do it, okay? So we, so we need to do it periodically. How, how do we do that? I think a couple of just practical ways... Maybe just to, to look at your calendar and, and see kind of as a picture of your life, a vision, whether you have it written or on your phone or tablet, and you look at it and see how many of these things on my calendar are directly related to my relationship with Christ. Now, you know, maybe, maybe you read your Bible every day in the morning and you don't have that in your calendar or whatever. So, you know, go easy on yourself in those regards. But when you look at all your, your things, like how, how much of this is really has any sort of relation to, to Christ? and what he's done in my life, and how I should be living for him. Maybe you could ask a trusted friend, a trusted friend that knows you well, and say, what would you say are my highest priorities? Not what they should be, but what do you think I think they really are? You could ask that same question for maybe an unchurched, an unsaved friend that you have that knows you, and if they just say a bunch of things like, yeah, this is important to you, your kids are important to you, you, you know, spend a lot of time you know, watching football and you love the Chiefs and you do all these things, but if they never they say anything about Jesus, you know, maybe it's time for us to kind of look at ourselves and be like, even my friends that don't know Jesus, like you would think the Jesus parts of my life would overflow and they would recognize that and hopefully we've shared with them and, and maybe we should more. So I want us to just think about that. Maybe, maybe you can take some time this week and, and just pray about it, think about it. Again, I know it's a hard thing sometimes to do because the easy thing is to be like, yeah, my life, I gave my life to Christ and my life founded on Jesus. But when we really look at how, how our lives operate, it may, it may not be what we really think it is. So once our foundation is in place, next, Paul has another reminder for us that the quality of our building materials matter. The quality of the way we build matters. He starts in verse 12 here by, by kind of giving us some supplies as an analogy. He says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw. Now these were all very common building materials back then. Paul is addressing them as part of this, again, communal construction project. We all play a role. Um, some of us have different responsibilities, but every role is important within the church. He said he wants them to be careful how they contribute to the project. We see these two categories of materials, the gold, silver, precious stones. Those are the good things, or the good actions, or the good behavior, the good, good things that we pour into um, building up of the church and participating within the church. And then the other three represent kind of some, some not-so-good things, wood, hay, straw. Obviously, if you're going to build a building, you'd rather it be built with gold, silver, and precious stones rather than wood, hay, and straw, which we'll see in a moment exactly why that is. But what is gold, silver, and precious stones? What does that represent? This is our work, our actions, done out of a Christ-like faith and obedience that is in accordance with the gospel and with Scripture. 
A lot of different examples of that you can think of. And the wood, hay, straw, what does that look like? It could be a number of different things, but maybe at best it could be kind of a misguided mission for a church, kind of a little bit off base, going a different direction or focused on the, on the wrong things. Maybe it's a lazy attitude towards something like discipleship that, that should be uh, an important focus. Or at worst, it could be false teaching or unrepentant sins. Maybe gossip disguised as a prayer request. Most of you have, have maybe experienced that. It's, it's other unfortunate or dysfunctional behavior that people participate with in the church. Anything that is not connected to the true foundation of Christ would fall under the category of the wood, hay, or straw. So how do we make sure we're building with the right materials? You know, I think besides doing a church foundation assessment, like we talked about earlier, not only individually, but kind of corporately as a church, we, we've got to anchor everything we do in Jesus. That means every decision that we make, every ministry, every worship service, every gathering, um, during community groups, down to the level of children's curriculum, financial decisions, our personal interactions with each other, we must see those through the lens of the gospel. We must view that, must keep an eternal perspective. So, so we know that, okay, it matters what we build with. Our actions within the church matter. But, but really, why is that? Paul begins to expound on that here in verse 14. In point number three, he says, our building quality will be tested. This is one of the reasons you've got to be careful, because you're going to be held accountable. In verse 13, it says this, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Starts out like that. So what is it talking about here? Our, our actions someday within the church will be tested by fire. They will be judged. This day is talking about the judgment seat of Christ. One of the judgments that, that is talked about in the end times that, you know, there's a lot of different judgments in Scripture. The judgment seat of Christ, the day that Paul's talking about here, is, is one where believers will be judged. And you might be like, be judged? I thought, I thought Jesus died on the cross, so I didn't have to be here. You know, that sort of thing. And that, that is true. This isn't, you're not being judged for your sin in, in, in regards to salvation. Um, we, we know that in Romans 8.1, it says this. This is Paul writing again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So your eternity is not being decided at this judgment day in the judgment seat of Christ. You, you are simply, the focus of, of the judgment seat is more on rewards. We see this kind of judgment seat referenced in 2 Corinthians 5.10, which says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And remember, 2 Corinthians is also written to the church at Corinth. says, we must all appear, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So we're all going to have to give an account, and, and the focus of that isn't, isn't whether you're going to heaven or hell or where your eternity is, is going to be located. It's about rewards or lack of rewards. So we're going to be held accountable. This is the reason we should care about what we, how we act, how we participate within the church. But what does that exactly result in? The next verse tells us, in verse 14, it tells us that good building quality will result in rewards. Good building quality will result in rewards. Verse 14 basically shows this. It says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. I'm like, okay. If the work, we, we kind of process that. So he's talking about the gold, the silver, the precious stones. 
right? Those, those things that are going to last, that fire won't have an effect on, like the wood, hay, or straw. So how should we as Christians view rewards? Rewards, because to be honest, like, you know, I, I've grown up in a Christian home, heard a lot of sermons, um, came to know Christ at, at a very early age. And, and really, every time I hear about rewards in heaven, it kind of makes me a little squirmy. Like, so, like, is that like a carrot dangling out there for me to chase? And how should I be motivated to, to get those things? Do I, like, do I want to get an extra level on my mansion in heaven by doing this good thing? Like, it feels kind of selfish and weird and that sort of thing. So, uh, I, I think for us... To, to think about that, there's a, there's a way, a couple illustrations that have helped me begin to understand this. I may not understand it completely yet, and I, I don't know if we ever will, but one of the big points is that, you know, we view rewards as like material things, like, you know, a, a crown, a, a mansion, and the Bible talks about some of those things too, but, but we view it from a very material mindset, and in a way for us to think about it, one way to illustrate it is, is a relationship kind of with a, a bride and a groom on their wedding day, right? The bride oftentimes spends hours, days preparing herself to get ready for that wedding day, to look her best, to, to look her best for her future husband, her groom, right, for that wedding. And so us, as this church, we are the bride of Christ, and we want to do everything we can to look our best for Christ, not for our own sake, not for selfish gain, but for our groom, our bridegroom, who is Christ. So that's one way to kind of think of rewards and, and kind of the motivation for why we want to do good things. Um, another, another one could be, you know, any sports analogy. We'll use the Chiefs because we, we all like the Chiefs, I hope. The Chiefs are going for the Super Bowl. They want to win the Super Bowl, right? And they have a good chance, hopefully this year, if everything keeps going well. But they want to win it not just for the trophy, not just for the physical metal, you know, shiny trophy. Well, that's cool and all. They want to win it because of everything that that trophy represents. Everything that that trophy represents. That's really the reward. And in a similar way, we can think of, of, of our heavenly rewards, that not in terms of, of getting the actual reward, but that each, each of those rewards carry an extra weight. They carry some weight and meaning of our relationship with God, and they remind us of the gospel. They remind us of what Jesus has done. So I, I, I know it's, it can be kind of confusing, and, but it really it is helpful, has been helpful for me to kind of think about those in a little different ways. It's not about the material gain. It's about what those rewards represent. You know, I don't think any of us are going to get up there and, and you know, it, as rewards come in, however, however that is played out, we're not going to compare it with our other, you know, friends and family and kind of feel bad. Oh, they have more. They don't have We're just going to be concerned about how we pleased Christ with our life, what that represents in our relationship. So we see the good building results in rewards, but on the opposite end, poor building quality will result in loss. Poor building quality will result in loss. We see this in verse 15. Paul kind of flips the coin and, and explains what happens for the wood, hay, and straw. It says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So we see at this judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, there will be a loss of reward, if our building work does not make it through the fire. But again, Paul helps us and clarifies right there in the middle of that verse, though he himself will be saved. So for all of us that are believers, again, this isn't talking about salvation. This is just simply talking about the actions that we um, 
participated in and the rewards or non-rewards that we'll be based on. All right, so we see, I mean, what this really means is that it is possible to be a believer in Christ, but to, to te- maybe be a poor teacher, but uh, teach poor doctrine. To, but we've got to be very careful about this. 2 Timothy 2.15, whether, whether you teach in front of a bunch of people or you're just teaching your, your child at home, reading, reading the Bible to them before they go to bed at night, we, we need to be careful what we teach. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. This is that Awana verse, approved workers are not ashamed verse, but a great, a great verse for us to, to memorize and to apply in our lives as well. You know, we, we, and poor teaching is just one example of, of being a poor builder. Um, there's a lot of other examples. We won't list them all. I know some of us may have even participated in them. But, but speaking of poor building, um, it reminds me of a, a story I heard about two brothers that were building this big dog cage. Uh, that once they got the frame completed... They both went into the frame, and one started nailing the wood from one side, and the other nailed it from the other side. The one who was nailing from the left would reach into his nail pouch and pull out a nail. He would look at the nail and either throw it away on the ground, or, or he would nail it in. Now, looking at the wasted nails, the other brother asked him, what, why are you throwing the nails away? The first brother explained, well, if I pull a nail out of my pouch and it's pointed towards me, I throw it away because it's defective. If it's pointed towards the cage, then I go ahead and nail it in. The other brother, the second brother, got completely upset and yelled at, You fool, the nails pointed towards you aren't defective. Give it to me, they're from my side of the cage. So, and I threw this joke in here because I know, I know many of you are going through Pastor Michael joke withdrawals. And <laughs> I know it's been two and now three weeks. And, you know, that was one of, one of the uh, conditions on him going on sabbatical is that we would tell some M- Michael quality jokes, and um, so I tried to pull that in there. All right, but you only have to wait two more weeks till he's back, and you'll get to hear, hear some. So, so we know that here in in this letter in Corinth, we, we the building work that we do as a church matters. We will be held accountable. We will be rewarded or, or not rewarded based on those things. But lastly, Paul reminds us of another reason why we should. Be careful how we build, because this isn't just any building. This isn't just any building that we're building, in a sense. Point number six says this. The building, the church, is God's temple where his spirit dwells. And this is what, in verses 16 and 17, Paul tells us directly. He tells us that the building is God's temple where his spirit dwells. We see this. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now, some of us may read that and we recognize that as another, another, with another verse in scripture when it talks about you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you like us individually, right? My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit God dwells with the Holy Spirit. He dwells inside each one of us as individual believers. And that is, that is completely true. And the Bible does teach that in one sense. But that's not what Paul is talking about in these verses. You remember, that all, all these yous in the original language are plural yous. It's kind of hard in, in the English to translate it unless you do it like this. The, the, my southern version. Do you not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all? Now, I'm from South Texas. This sounds completely natural. For God's temple is holy, and y'all are that temple. See how he finishes there. I mean, this is really what it's saying. 
Now, I, I did feel a little weird even typing these things in. I'm like, I'm changing scripture. This feels a little weird. But it doesn't change the meaning. I think it helps highlight the point for us and realize, really, a better kind of understanding. This, he's talking about the church. He's talking about all of us, not just as individuals. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. No, he dwells within our midst, within us. Now, this is important because the temple it is a place where God dwells, and it's, it's a place where his spirit is present. It's a place where his glory is made known. You remember in the Old Testament, I mean, the temple was where God's presence, where, where he lived within his people. All right, and of course, when Jesus came, that, that changed things quite a bit. How, how God kind of, his presence wasn't just in a physical location there among his people. But now, through the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came, he dwells within each of us and in a special way, in unique way, he dwells within us as a church. We are the temple of God. This is, there is something very different about our gathering here, the, this, this group of people, than there is with any other group of people that you gather with, whether it's, uh, you know, at the schools your kids go to, at a sporting event, uh, at your work. Paul is stressing to them that this importance uh, of realizing that that you are God's temple, and that has some ramifications for you. If you are uh, together, God's temple, this this is a profound truth. God's spirit dwells in our midst, in a very special way, whether that's here with us on Sunday mornings or in homes as you meet in community groups throughout the week or you serve on mission teams or as we'll see in a moment at the end of our service today, we got a team going to London and we've had teams go over to the Philippines, wherever in the world they are. If they're part of our church and they're together, God's spirit dwells in them. It doesn't have anything to do with this building being the temple. Well, I mean, we were a church. We were God's temple long before we had a building. We had that when we were moving in and out of a school or a comedy club. We must be holy, though. That is part of what a temple, you know, the characteristics of a temple. A temple is a holy place. What does holy mean? It means to be set apart. It means to be different, distinct, set apart. It's not a place of entertainment. It's not a place where you come just to get good coffee and donuts. It's not a place to just come and kind of gather together and, and fellowship with one another, although those things aren't, aren't bad in and of themselves. But if we get off base and that becomes our focus and we don't remember, okay, the Holy Spirit is, is here with us. We need to, to help protect our temple so that God can reveal his glory to us in and, in and amongst us, um, in and out to the world around us. So how can each one of us protect this, this temple, this gathering, whether that's here, like I said, or, or in homes, or wherever we are gathered as the church? How can we keep ourselves set apart for displaying God's glory? And, and I mean, it pretty much boils down to being obedient to Scripture, anchoring ourselves on the foundation. A lot of the things I've already talked about, I, I think being intentional about our spiritual walk individually. Obviously, w- when we each take care of ourselves and and not that we don't need to help each other, we do. But if we take some initiative and we are um, kind of self-initiating in the sense of wanting to grow and learn more about Christ, draw closer to him in our own walks, we're going to be better together, right? We're going to be better together. We'll be more united in the gospel. We, when we fulfill the one another commands in Scripture, 
In the letters that Paul has to many of those churches and other places in the New Testament, there's a lot of commands given to the church to, to do things for one another, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, lift one another up. When we do those things, we are showing God's glory to the world around us. We need to constantly anchor ourselves in the word of God, keeping the feet of our church firmly planted on the foundation of Christ by continually preaching the gospel to ourselves. We don't just preach the gospel to others. We do that for sure, but we preach it to ourselves as a church. One way we do that in a very special way is through observing the Lord's Supper. We, we preach the gospel to ourselves through the Lord's Supper. We're gonna do that together today to kind of close our service. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the church along with baptism that we see it kind of commanded in scripture by Christ for us to do. It's a symbolic experience and a time of corporate remembrance for us to remember the sacrifice of Christ. This is a big way that we keep our foundation grounded. We, we keep ourselves building on the foundation of Christ.